Open your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5. We talked about salt and light last week. Let's read the scripture from Matthew chapter 5. I was going to give all the kids a box of salt and a a light, but I decided I would not want to make enemies with all the parents. Kids sprinkling salt all over the house and all over the floor. So parents, I'll leave that up to you. You can teach your kids about salt. But I'll provide the light. Amen? Gotcha. That's an LED light too, so. We didn't go cheap, even though they were only a dollar. So. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, Father, we ask you today to open our hearts, to open our minds to your word. We thank you for the Spirit of God that dwells in us, to lead us, to guide us, to teach us, Lord, to open our understanding, to illuminate the Word of God. Father, we ask that you would do that today. Lord, as you declared in your Word, that we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that God, we would be a people that would truly be salt and light. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, before I forget, I want to... Chris Graham is here today, and uh, some of you... Um, have been praying for Chris. If you remember, what was it, Chris, a couple of weeks ago? Chris was hit by a train. Uh, Some of you actually told me you saw it on the news. Uh, Chris was hit by a train and um, knocked off a 30-foot bridge. And Chris is here with us today as an answer to prayer. Amen? I believe that. I told Chris, there's not too many people that get hit by a train and survive to tell of it. Not only that, but fall off a 30-foot bridge on top of it. Wow. Say that again. He stopped the train. So, so you know, prayer, uh, sometimes you wonder, does God hear our prayers? Well... God heard prayers on behalf of Chris Graham. I don't think prayers just after his injury, but someone's been praying for you. And um, brought him here today. He really shouldn't even be here on this earth in a physical body, but he is. And Chris said, uh, just before I came up here, he said he must have something for me. And so... Why don't we just take a moment and thank God and uh, 
and let's stretch our hands out and just pray. You know, Chris obviously is still recovering. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this man. Lord, in your divine providence, you did not allow this man to die from that accident. And Lord, whatever it is that you have for him, uh, Father, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, reveal that to him. Lord, that he would come to know you, Lord Jesus, in a deeper, a more intimate way than ever before in his life. Lord, I thank you for the promise that you give us in Romans eight twenty nine, that those who love you and are called according to your purpose, Lord, you will work all things together for good to them. And Lord, this, this tragic accident that could have been even more tragic than it was, God, I trust that you will do what the Scripture declares, that you will work this together for good. And out of this, God, Chris is going to have a testimony. But more than that, God, he's going to have a knowledge and an experience of God that he never had before. Thank you, Lord, for enabling him to be here today to see, Lord, in person, the answer to our prayers. We thank you, God, that you are a faithful, faithful God. And we just give you glory and honor for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Jesus said in Mark 9.50, he said, Salt is good, but it is the salt. If salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. That's really an important statement, and I want you to, to keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this lesson today. Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. Then in Luke 14, Jesus says this in verse 34, Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Ephesians 5.8, Paul says to the Ephesians, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Remember, we started this in Matthew 5. And in that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, in these verses 13 through 16, he makes two very important statements. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of of the world. The Apostle Paul says, You once were darkness, but now you are light. Where? In the Lord. Jesus said, Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? We talked a little bit about salt last week, and we said this, and I don't want to go back into that whole conversation. But the way salt loses its flavor, the way salt loses its saltiness, it's not that salt becomes less salty. Remember we said it was, it was the fact that they gathered these salt, this mineral salt from the Dead Sea area, but it had a lot of other minerals bound with it. And what would happen from exposure and from use, the salt would get leached out and you would be left with these minerals that weren't salt at all. They had elements of, of, of that, and if you study chemistry, you'll understand how all this works. And some salt is good for your table, and some salt needs to be thrown on the road. And so Jesus says, if the salt loses its flavor, it's not good for anything. It's not good to be put in the land because it'll kill the land. It's not good to put in your compost pile because it won't even be good for fertilizer. 
All it's good for is to be thrown on the paths where men walk. And so the point of this is that Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are to have salt in yourself. There is a flavor that we are to have and that we are to provide in this earth. How many of you like salt in your food? I mean, it's known that salt provides flavor. Salt preserves. It's interesting, you know how salt preserves? Salt takes the water from the bacteria, from the organisms, and they can't reproduce because it leaches the water from them and they die. That's how salt preserves. And so... Salt that has lost that ability, that action, it's not good for anything. And so Jesus said, you're to have salt in yourself. So salt flavors and preserves. Well, what does light do? Light illuminates and it dispels darkness. If we, if we turned all the lights off in this room, I promise you it would be very dark in here. Because we don't have any windows. But the moment we flip that switch and the lights come on, the darkness is dispelled. Darkness cannot stand in light. And so Jesus says we are to be salt. Actually, he doesn't say we are to be. He says you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Don't let your saltiness be diminished. Don't let your light Be hidden, he says. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket or under a bed? You don't do that. You light a lamp and you put it up where it lights the whole room. Remember last week I asked you how many of you install your light fixtures on your floor? No, you install them on the ceiling, right? Because it disperses light throughout the room. And so we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. How are we that? Are we that in ourselves? No, we're not that in ourselves. You are salt and light as a new creation in Christ. Being conformed to Christ. His righteousness is the salt that counters the corruption of the flesh. And it is the light that shines before men. His righteousness. Now why do I say His righteousness? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do we become the righteousness of God? Well, that statement began with this statement, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God. And it goes on down into verse 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So it's the new man, the new creation in Christ, That's being conformed to Christ. It's His righteousness in us. So the spiritual man, you realize that? That that you are 
as a human being, I believe, the Bible says we're created in the image of God, and I believe as God is triune, I believe that man is triune in a sense. We're body, soul, and spirit. In the Bible, Paul talks about the spirit of a man. Well, when you, when I, when we are born again, our man, our spirit man that was dead, is born again and becomes perfectly conformed to the spirit of God. My spiritual man, the part of me that is holy and righteous is not my physical man because... My flesh, in the flesh, Paul says, there are how many good things? (laughs) In the flesh, there is no good thing. So this flesh is, God's not interested in this flesh, except that this. This flesh, right now, as we live on this earth, this flesh gives expression to the true life, the real life, the spirit man that's in me. So my my spirit man has no expression apart from my flesh in this earth, in this order, in this created order. So Christ in me, the hope of glory, it's Christ in me that is manifest and expressed how? Through our flesh. I mean through our actions. So how I talk to you. How I treat you. If I walk up to you and cold cock you and just sucker punch you, how many of you would say, well, that was the love of God? <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the love of God, would it? That wasn't the expression of God's love. So you wouldn't equate that with, with God or love or anything. But if I walked up to you and gave you a hug and knew that you had a need in your life and somehow I was able to, to help meet that need, whether it be physically, emotionally, spiritually, you would equate that with God, with the love of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that through the flesh, right? How do you love somebody? How do you, how do you hug somebody? You hug them with your arms, right? As an expression of love. When you are, are talking with someone that's experienced a tragedy in their life and you cry with them and you, you, ex, you express to them that you understand their hurt, whether you can identify with it totally or not, you know that they're hurting, and so your expression of, of sympathy, of empathy, lets them know that, that you love them, that you care about them. If you just sat there and laughed at them and thought it was really funny that they were experiencing this tragedy, you wouldn't equate that with love either, would you? So through our flesh, we communicate Things that are either consistent with Christ or things that are contrary to Christ. Got my video camera on him, don't worry. I might keep this up here. That's kind of kind of fun, you know? No. I'm teasing Steve. Poor Steve was up till past two o'clock last night or this morning tearing down a wedding. Yeah, but you naturally have more energy than Steve does. So. <laughs> so how we express that love that's in us, that reality of the Spirit in us, we express it how? We express it physically through our flesh. And so, but it's the spiritual man, it's the new man with the new nature of the second birth, 
a new creation in Christ. That is the part of you that is salt and light. It is that spiritual man. It's Christ in you that is flavoring you, that's illuminating you. That's the light. You know, it's kind of like this little, this little clip-on light here. If you don't put the three little batteries in there, there is no power to power the light. And so I could sit there and click this button all day long and there's not going to be any light coming out of this plastic housing. But because the power has been deposited inside, look, there's light. Well, that's the way we are. This flesh has no light. It has nothing, no flavor, no saltiness in and of itself. But when the power has been deposited, when Christ comes to reside in us when the Spirit of God, and that's how Christ lives in us. He lives in us by the Spirit. When that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, it will strengthen even your mortal flesh. When you put the batteries in this little light, it will even cause this plastic to be able to do something that it was not able to do before. Christ in you enables you to do things that you cannot do otherwise. You can't be salt and you can't be light without Christ. So it's the spiritual man, the new creation in Christ that is salt and light. Your spiritual man is in, it dwells in, abides in, lives in, has the life of the Spirit. That is your life. That's why you're alive today in Christ, because he has imparted his life to you. The carnal man, you know what the carnal man is? That's this right here. This is alive. You know it is, right? It's not an illusion that we're alive physically. We are alive physically. And if you let this flesh, if you leave it to itself, you know what it'll do? It'll do everything contrary to who Christ is if you let it. And leave it to itself. If you give place to the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, you're not going to do the things that are consistent with Christ. I mean, let's be honest. How many times have you ever encountered somebody and you just wish you could just flat knock them out? But you didn't do it because something restrained you. Said you know, Something inside of you said, you know what? That would not be right. Not just because I would get arrested and charged with aggravated assault, but it just wouldn't be right. Something in you says, you know what? I represent Christ. I can't do that. I can't act that way. I can't talk that way. I can't be that way. That is not consistent. Then you repent and say, God, give me a love. Give me a compassion. That's not your carnal man that does that. That's your spiritual man that's desiring that. It's your carnal man that wants to whack them. So the carnal man, that's the old man with the old nature of the first birth. Remember Jesus said, you must be born again. You were born the first time of your father Adam with the nature of the flesh in sin and death. You need to be born again of Christ, of the Spirit, with a new nature, of a new creation. So the carnal man is the old man with the old nature of the first birth. An old creation in the corruption and darkness of sin. Your carnal man lives, he lives in the lust of the flesh. That's where he lives. Well, what is keeping your carnal man from just running wild? I'm going to tell you what. 
It's the salt and the light that the Spirit of God provides. It is the power that has been deposited in you. It's the very life and the very nature of Christ that now has caused you to become a new creation. So you don't live according to the old creation. You don't live according to the old nature. You don't walk according to that nature. So let's look at Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. I'm going to read that again. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lust against the spirit. Or we could say this, the carnal man lusts against the spiritual man, and the spiritual man against the carnal man. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Paul says, look, if you just walk according to the lust of the flesh, you're just going to do whatever comes naturally. Your flesh is natural. Your spirit man is not natural, it's super natural. It's above nature. So Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk under the control of the Spirit and you won't do carnal and fleshly things. You won't do the things that your flesh wants to do. You'll do the things that are consistent with who Christ is. He goes on down in verse 25. Look, look in the same chapter, Galatians 5. Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit... Now, let's stop right there. How do you come to live in the Spirit? When you were born, what did you live in? The first time. When you were born the first time, what, did you, what do you live in? You live in the flesh. But when you're born again, what do you live in? You live in the Spirit. So Romans 8, 9 says, if you are Christ's possessive, if you, in other words, if you belong to Christ, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If you belong to Christ. Why? The flesh has been crucified. This is real fitting that we're talking about this on Reformation Sunday. Because this is the gospel. See, the things we're talking about, you, this is not something you work for. This is not something you, you can pay enough money to the church and, and achieve this status. You don't die and go to purgatory and sit there and pay for your sins and then... No! That's not how... That's not Christ atoning for your sin. That's not the work of Christ. That's your work. And your work can't do what this gospel declares that Christ has done. If, if it's up to us to do it, then it's really not good news, is it? The good news is we could not and cannot do it, and Christ did it for us. Well, what do we do? We trust in what Christ has done. We die with him so that we can be raised with him. So he says, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, so if we belong to Christ, we live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. So if I now live in the Spirit, it doesn't make sense for me to walk according to the flesh any longer, does it? It doesn't. Remember my analogy that I like to use. If I'm not a dog anymore, it doesn't make sense for me to go out and sleep in the doghouse, eat out of the dog bowl, bark at the moon, scratch fleas, roll around the backyard, poop along the fence. That's what my dogs do. 
that doesn't make sense for me to do that if I'm not a dog anymore, does it? Dig holes under the fence and get out every night and go run like wild animals. Well, they are wild animals, I guess. Bunch of heathens. Bunch of hillbilly dogs is what it is. They learn from their daddy. I don't know. Is that true? No, I love my dogs. You know, that's a good object lesson, even, even though they're my dogs. They have become, taken ownership of them. They're mine. And they don't always behave right, but I still love them. And I'm, I'm determined that I will help them learn to live right. Now, it doesn't make sense if we live in the Spirit to walk according to the flesh. It doesn't make any sense for me to say, oh, I love Jesus so much, and then go home and beat my wife or beat my kids or, you know, cuss out everybody that doesn't do... That, that doesn't make sense, does it? But yet, now here's the thing, church. You know, there's people that actually do that. And this is why I, I, I not that infrequently run into people who say, you know what, I don't believe in God, I hate the church, because my daddy was this, or my daddy was that, and he abused me, or he did this, or he did that, or my somebody who professed to be this man who loves God... I mean, that, that is too frequent. And so this is what Paul is saying. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So if I'm walking in the Spirit, I'm not walking around provoking people, envying people. I'm not walking around being conceited and puffed up with pride. Mm -mm. This goes back to Mark 9.50. Jesus says, have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. Now there's a right way to provoke one another and there's a wrong way. Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider one another provoking one another unto love and good works, not forsaking the assemblings of ourselves together. So as we study the Scripture, as we, as we look into the truth, the Spirit of God should be challenging us about those things in our lives that are not consistent with the new nature that we are to have in Christ. And we should be willing to speak the truth in love, to help our brothers and our sisters, not in a judgmental or condemning way, But just like we're going to tell our children that we love, you can't play in the middle of the street. Why, Daddy? Because it's dangerous. You don't love me. If you don't let me play in the street, you don't love me. No, I'm not going to let you play in the street because I do love you. Whether you believe that or not doesn't really matter to me. I'm not going to let you play in the street. I don't care how much you want to. And you can tell me all day long that I don't love you. I'm still not going to let you play in the street. Well, you don't love me if, you, if, you, if you're, if you're going to tell me that, you don't love me. This is, now I'm talking about an adult now. No, I do love, I'm going to tell you this because I do love you. Because what you're doing, your lifestyle, who you are is contrary to who you're confessing to be. Now, if you want to tell me you're not a Christian, that's fine. Then I'm not going to have anything to say to you. Because it's not my place to say anything to you. If you don't confess to be a Christian... 
Christians, don't waste your time going out there to people who are in the world who do not confess to be Christians and don't go out there and try to change the way they live their lives. Don't go out there and point fingers and condemn them. They're just being who they are naturally. But if we have brothers and sisters, this is what the Bible commands us to do. If someone calls himself a brother or a sister and their life is contrary, we are commanded by the Scripture to go to them in love and say, hey, you're playing in the middle of the street. You're fixing to get run over. Come on over here. You understand what I'm saying, right? Now, they might not like it. But Jesus never said, only tell people the things they like and that they want to hear. He never said that, and he never did that. He told people not only what they didn't like and what they didn't want to hear, but he told them that because he loved them. So if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Jesus saying, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another is the same as Paul saying, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In Adam, the old man, we are in the flesh with no power to walk free of its lust. So someone out in the world who doesn't call themselves a believer, they're just out there, they have no power to and you're out there trying to get them to live a godly life, they have no power to live a godly life. It's not in them. It's impossible for them to do it. Even if they do behave and act the way you want them to, that still does not make them godly. It might make them conform to the way you think they should live, and society might call them good, but God won't call them good. Because what defines whether we're good or not, it's not our behavior, it is our nature. Now, once we confess that we have been born again and our nature has been changed, once I make that confession, I'm accountable to you. So if you see me out living and doing things that are contrary to who I confess to believe in and put my trust in, you have every right to come to me in love and say, Hey, Pastor Jeff, your life is not consistent with uh, what, what you got up and preached last Sunday. I mean, if I'm out there cheating on my wife, and I'm saying, hey, we should be faithful men, true to our wives and true to God, but I'm out there and got three or four girlfriends on the side, oh, it's okay, I'm the pastor. Playing in the street, yeah. Oh, you can't play in the street, but I can. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So, When we're in the flesh, we have no power to walk free of its lust. But in Christ, the new man, we are not in the flesh, we're in the Spirit. And we have now the power, His power, to walk in the Spirit and to walk free from the lust of the flesh. I didn't say we still wouldn't struggle with temptation. But the difference now in Christ, temptation still comes to me, the struggle still comes, but now I have the power to walk free. When I wasn't in Christ, it didn't even matter whether I walked free of certain behavior patterns. That didn't really mean anything. But now in Christ, it changes everything because now He lives in me. I have a new nature. I am a new creation. And so, I don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now having in Christ, what do we have in Christ? In Christ, we now have His very own life and His very own righteousness. 
So how can you be salt and light? Well, you can be because you're in Christ. Now, look at Matthew 5.20. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5. Skip down a few verses and let's look what Jesus says in verse 20. Jesus said in Matthew 5.20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whew. Now let me just tell you this. When we're talking about just behavior and behavior modification, those Pharisees, those guys would look more righteous than anybody you'd know today. But, but internally... And in secret, <laughs> they weren't. And the thing was, what, what, what normal men couldn't see past, Jesus could. And he understood what was in their hearts. And it wasn't just that's what was in their heart. He was saying something even greater than that. He was saying, look, you don't have it within yourself. You have no righteousness of your own. If, if you are like the Pharisees, trusting in your own righteousness, your righteousness better exceed what they have. What he's saying is they don't have any. So who did Abraham trust in? He didn't trust in himself, he trusted in God. So he trusted in the righteousness of another. Abraham trusted in someone greater than himself. He was justified by faith in God. We must trust in someone greater than ourselves. We must trust in a righteousness that's not our own, in the righteousness that comes from God. So the Pharisees trusted in their own righteousness, and they had no righteousness, but neither do we. So we can't point fingers at the Pharisees and say, ah, look, they didn't have any righteousness. Well, guess what? We don't either, unless we're in Christ. And if we're in Christ, we don't have our own righteousness. We have his righteousness. So we have to trust in his righteousness, the righteousness of God that is received only in Christ by grace through faith. And that righteousness is to be salt and light, influencing not only us, but those around us. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Here you go. You are the light of the world. Now turn over to Acts chapter uh, 19. So how do we lose our flavor? How do we hide our light? We give place to the lust of the flesh, and we dilute our saltiness, and we cover our light with the works of the flesh. When the world looks at you, do they see the flesh, or do they see Jesus? When the world hears your words, do they hear your flesh? Your carnal man, or do they hear Jesus? When your husband, when your wife, when your sister, when your brother, when your mother, when your father, when your children, when your neighbor hears your words, sees your actions, do they hear and see Jesus, or do they hear and see the flesh? Are you the salt of the earth? Are you the light of the world, or has your salt lost its flavor, and is your light hidden by the works and the lust of your flesh? That's how that happens. How do we have salt in ourselves, and how do we let our light shine? Paul said it, we walk in the Spirit, no longer fulfilling the lust of the flesh. That's how we do it. So this is the internal and the external life of the believer. Internal 
righteousness, his righteousness, should eventually equate to an external manifestation. If there's life in the root, if there's life in the tree, if there's life in the vine, the branches are going to produce fruit. Because we know the root is good and we know the vine is true, so there will be fruit come forth. That is the working and the power of the Spirit. So this is not only our relationship with God and Christ, but equally important, it is our relationship with one another in Christ. This is why Paul says, hey, you can tell me all day long that you love God, but if you hate your brother, the love of God's not in you. Because what we do, what we say, how we live really does matter. It doesn't determine whether we receive his righteousness, but if we have received his righteousness, then there should be a manifestation of that truth and reality that, that's in us. Amen? I mean, if the batteries are really in the flashlight, there's going to be a light, right? But I can press the button all day long, and if the batteries aren't in there, if the power source isn't in there, if the life's not in there, I can say it's lit, I can say it's a light, but it, it, it's really pretty useless, isn't it? Oh, I got a flashlight here. It's dark out here. Oh, I got a flashlight. Well, wh- why it doesn't work? Yeah, it's a flashlight. Sure, can't you see? No, there's no light. That's like saying, I'm a believer, but everything I'm saying and everything I'm doing is contrary to that. You can call yourself whatever you want. But do you have a light? Is there a light? Is there power? So Jesus said, by all By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, John 13, 35. And then in Mark 50, he says, 9, 50, have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. This is the light that is to be shining and the salt that is to be flavoring. Now, I'm I'm not going to go through this whole uh, lesson today. But in Acts 19... Verses 23 through 27. I'll just summarize this for you. You can read it when you get home. This is the account. Paul was in Ephesus preaching and teaching. In Ephesus, the city of Ephesus was a center of the world in terms of the worship of the goddess Diana. And in the cult of Diana, this goddess who supposedly Zeus to the Greeks and Jupiter to the Romans... Uh, sent her image down upon the earth, and they had this temple that was one of the seven wonders of the world there in Ephesus, devoted to this goddess, Diana. And there was this whole trade that sprung up around the worship of this goddess. And these silversmiths would make little replicas of the temple, you know, it'd be just like today going into a gift store. You can buy little ones, you can buy bigger ones. You know, if you want just a little one to put on your dashboard of your chariot as you drive around, or you want a real big one to put on the mantel place in your home, you could do that too. But they would make these, these idols, basically, these little things that you could take home with you and still worship Diana. Well, what happened was, here comes the Apostle Paul and the Christians preaching the gospel And the Bible says that the word of the Lord, in Acts 19.20, it says the word grew mightily and prevailed. And then it says about that time, this silversmith named Demetrius stored up this big stir, and here's what he said. 
Listen to what he says. He says, we are falling into disrepute because all the people in Ephesus and all of Asia are forsaking the worship of Diana and it's getting to the point that that our very profession of making these idols, we are falling into disrepute. We got to do something. He called the local silversmith union together and got all the guys together and said, we got to do something about this. Our business is going down the tubes because these Christians... They're converting everybody to worshiping their God and no one's worshiping our God. And they're starting to look at us unfavorably like we're doing something wrong. Yet all the world knows that Diana is the greatest. I want to go back to verse 20 there. It says, the word grew mightily and prevailed. Where did the word grow? Where did the growing of the word begin? It needs to begin right here. It began in the believers, it began through the believers, it went through the believers, and it, and it influenced and affected those who were around them. It's no different today, church. Listen, instead of going out and boycotting whatever it is and picketing whatever it is, let the word grow mightily in you to the point that that word, that seed that's planted in you, begins to manifest through you and influence those around you. Do you know that we can change laws all day long, but until the hearts of men are changed, nothing has changed. And do you know how all the bad laws got passed to begin with? Because the hearts of men grew dull. Because somewhere along the way, the church lost her saltiness and covered up her light and enabled our culture to pass laws and do things that are contrary to God. So our knee-jerk reaction is want to go out there and change everything. No, let's, let's look right here first. And after we look here, let's, let's look in here in the family next. And let's let the Word of God grow mightily in us, through us, and around us. And before you know it, without even trying the people out in the world are going to feel the influence of the believers. Those Christians weren't out there picketing the the temple of Diana. How do we know that? Because this is what the Bible says. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 19. So Demetrius, he stirs up this big stir. They go into the local amphitheater and they've got this big rally going on and it's turning into a riot and the city officials come and say, hey, you guys better get it under control. The Romans are fixing to come in here and we're going to all wish that this wouldn't be happening. If you've got a problem with these guys, then take it to the courts. We've got a court system that, that does this. Verse 37, Acts 19.37, For you have... Brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. In other words, they didn't spend time blaspheming the goddess. You know what they did? They spent time magnifying Christ and magnifying the scripture. Church, magnify Christ within yourself. Magnify the scripture within yourself. And then let that begin to work through you and let it influence everything around you. No one had to point out the error of that cult worship because when they came into a knowledge of the truth, man, they knew right there, this is the true and living God. Jesus Christ is the one I worship. That's it. I'm not, going to the, I'm not buying these idols anymore. I'm not going to that temple anymore. 
Why? Because their hearts were changed. Because their hearts were changed. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Hypocrisy is saying one thing while doing another. Jesus hated hypocrisy because it is impossible to be salt of the earth and it's impossible to be the light of the world while being a hypocrite. And we're all hypocritical sometimes, right? And a lot of the people in the world use that as an excuse of why they don't come to church, which is really just an excuse. But the reality is, our goal is not to be hypocrites and hide under the grace of God that says, I'm okay, I'm going to go to heaven anyway. Now, that's not the point. The point is, Jesus said, you're here to be salt and light. And this is why he railed against the Pharisees, because they were the hypocrites of hypocrites. So here's the thing. Our knowledge of Christ must translate into a mindset and a walk conformed to Christ. What we know must become what we live. We are salt and light when the world sees that our walk is consistent with the way, the truth, and the life that we claim to be true. Jesus said, here's how they're going to know that I'm true by the love that you have for one another. Church, your salt and your light. Be that. But don't be that just here. Don't be that just in your home. Be that everywhere you go. You're not salt and light on Sunday. You're salt and light on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. 24-7, 365 days out of the year, through all eternity. If you are born again, that's who you are. Be who you are. Amen? Let's all stand. And you can be who you are because of what Christ Jesus did. Amen? He gives you the power for that. Man, you kids were so good. I can't wait for you to get your lights. When you get home... Get your parents to take you in the bathroom or the closet. Turn all the lights out. Make it really dark. Turn your light on. When you go to bed tonight, you can clip this onto your look. You can clip this onto your shirt, onto your pajamas. Check this out. Clip it onto your pajamas. You can lay in bed and you can read your book. If you need more ideas on, on how to what to do with this light, just come see me. Okay. Okay. What's your idea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we sure can. Okay. For those of you who want to do it, after I dismiss, we'll have everyone stay in here that wants to, and we'll turn all the lights out, and we'll turn our lights on. Okay? And, but, but if we do that, you're going to have to sing with me. We're going to sing this little light of mine, okay? You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know that song? Oh, well, we'll teach you that song, okay? All right, yeah, you got to sing. You got to sing. It'll be fun. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the only God, the true and living God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came from heaven to earth. Lord, you really died on that cross. You were really buried and you were really raised 
so that we could really become your sons and your daughters. Lord, we thank you that it's not by our works, it's not by what we do or who we are, what we're able to perform. Lord, it's by grace through faith. And the only man who did the only good work that really matters, Jesus Christ. The only good man that ever walked this earth was Jesus Christ. But Lord, we thank you that even though we were not good and we were your enemies, you died for us still the same. You loved us first, you chose us, and you have given us the right to become children of God. And you have prepared for us in Christ Jesus good works that you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them as we live and move and have our very being in Christ. Not our good works, but the works you have prepared for us. Father, even as we heard testimony today from Chris Graham, Lord, I believe you saved him for good works that you have prepared before the foundations of the earth. That's why you didn't let that train take his life. Lord, none of us here other than Chris may have that dramatic of a testimony, but we all can say that we are people of purpose. And in you, Lord Jesus, we find our purpose. We find our reason for living as you are our very life. Father, I pray as we go from this place today that we would be what you called us to be, salt of the earth, the light of the world, that we would let our light shine and let our salt flavor and preserve that which is around us. We thank you. We give you glory, Father, for all things. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. All right, God bless you. Look, if you want prayer, if you want to know more about coming to Christ, being a child of God, please come and let's talk. I'll pray with you. I'll talk with you. And you can't